Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today, we have a special tandem guest. That's right, two guests for the price of one. We have Dr. Bridget Jorgensen and her husband, Alan Jorgensen. Bridget started as a hygienist, but then became a dentist, practiced for 24 years, and sold her practice in 2018. She has since started Dental Practice Matchmaker, which is a Facebook group to help dentists find practices to buy from existing dentists. Her husband, Alan, who started his front office after a career in technology, started Lighthouse 360 Practice Management Software. So they have a very unique story. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Glad to be here. Mm -hmm. All right, Bridget, tell us your story, and then we'll have Alan throw in how his story kind of connects in right here. Um, I started out of high school, and uh, we got married very, very young, so I didn't go to college right away. Went back to my old orthodontist and asked him, told him I liked teeth, and, you know, what should I do? And he said, well, go be a hygienist. So I worked in a dental office as an assistant as a front desk person while I was in hygiene school, graduated from hygiene school, worked for two years and thought this might be a little boring for me. And eventually went back to dental school, ran a practice for 24 years and then um, sold it in 2018 and started something else called Dental Practice Matchmaker. But when you started your practice, Alan, you left corporate America went to be her office manager, and let's talk about what happened there. Correct. So basically, I come into the office, and these very nice ladies all huddle around me because they know I have no dental experience, and they show me how to build a patient chart, and I laugh. And then I look at them, and they're not laughing. I'm like, you guys can't be serious. That's not how you run a business. And so that basically started my journey to saying, we're not going to do it that way, and we started doing business different. Everything past the office in the treatment room with the gloves on was her domain, but everything prior to the patient getting into it was my domain in terms of automation and business processes. And so, Bridget, you ran a fee-for-service practice for 24 years, correct? Correct. And you started this in 1994. Yep. And was fee-for-service a big thing back then like it is it more now? Pretty, it was pretty normal. If you were in network with an insurance company, it was it was rare and probably just when you were starting but and I think we might have started with one or two, but after a year or so, we're like, no, this doesn't yeah. make any sense. But from the so, business side, sitting down, it's like, this is crazy to do this. So we, we got rid of all of it. We also started all digital back in 94. Computers, chair side, no film, no processor in the building, all digital x-ray back when people said, well, you can't do that. Wow. So so insurance is a bigger thing now than it was 25, 30 years ago. It, it's crushing people. Well, yeah, and I, we could talk about that all day long. <laughs> so, Alan, you look in here, you're you're stepping in as a business guy who's been in the business world for 
you know, 20 years or 15 years or whatever. And you're like, okay, this dentist office is stuck in the dark ages is what you saw. I started in the data center with the telephone company, did a bunch of work, which got us down to Georgia. And then I joined a German software company that did professional consulting. So from that aspect, I was dealing with all sorts of different companies, Delta Airlines, CDC, I mean, uh, universities and so forth. And so it was seeing how they ran their stuff and then coming into the dental office and realizing not a single business in the world would want to model their processes off the dental office. Small business is very different from large corporations. But the philosophy, I mean, a a quill pen, a filling out a form, it just, it, it did not make sense whatsoever, especially since we started computerized. Our first appointment book was the computer when people weren't putting their appointments on there. And I knew the computer had all the information needed in order to make it easy to treat patients and to do the business side of it. So we focus on that. And that's kind of what the whole whole thing did. So out of this, you basically started a software company that for practice management called Lighthouse 360. Kind of. Early on, the internet had just, Dental Town didn't even exist yet. It was something called the IDF, the Internet Dental Forum. And so we were having conversations with people and describing what we were doing and everybody calling me a liar saying, you can't do that. So we basically said, okay, come visit the office. And we were hosting day in the lights where either doctors or doctors and their teams would show up and they would just buddy up with our people and walk around and they would see how we could bring in patients with no charts. We could see them, we could treat them, we could check them out and everything. And the the most amazing thing was that for having five treatment rooms, for having two doctors, two hygienists and everything, we had one front desk person and it was me. And I was bored most of the time goofing off on the internet. This is back in the 56K modem days where it's, <laughs> yeah, you had to wait 10 minutes to get online. Some exactly. of our, the younger people don't don't uh, remember, don't know what that was like. <laughs> so, um, But again, the dentistry was being done. Uh, new patients were coming in. Uh, she's multi-generational. The business of the dental, the, the, the dental need was very real out there and easily fittable to a different way way of doing it. And so that's kind of our office from the get-go. We had on-site childcare because we basically brought four children we up four kids. while we were starting a, a dental uh, you know, practice and a, a software company. So you brought her practice into the modern age. And right. how much did that improve the efficiency of the practice? Well, we were seeing 100 new patients a month for probably the first five years that we were in practice. From the startup. Yeah. So, I mean, that just takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. So we were doing all that. The, I mean, I guess we were modern from the very beginning, yeah. but had a lot of people telling us you can't do it that way. And it's like, it's working though. It, it was a seven figure practice in the mid nineties. We had two doctors, but they worked a split schedule where one doctor was on a week and then off a week. So at any given time, I only had one doctor in the building, but we could keep five days full. So... What percentage, based on your experience, of practices today would you classify as behind the curve technologically and still catching up? Yeah, catching up. But like how much more efficient? I mean, everyone has a software program. There's a software program for everything now. And I would say most people have digital x-rays. So There's a lot of people that possess technology. There's not that many that use it or use it well. So that's the kind of the the big difference. The the good news is with the growing uh, doctors, the young doctors coming up, they grew up with iPhones and iPads. So they are more technology savvy. 
But the problem is they're not wanting to buy practices or start practices. So you've got the old guard who didn't really believe as much in the technology or saw grew up in a way of you know wet finger dentistry where you weren't even using gloves. So their offices are not technology current. And the new folks are either going straight into the DSOs or they're being brought in under the old way of doing things. And that's the, the biggest problem dentistry have is the earlier people saying, but this is how it's done. And the newer people just adapting saying, okay, if that's the way it's gotta be done. They tried to do that to me, well-intentioned. They tried to show me how you do a, an emergency patient different than a regular patient. And then if an emergency patient becomes a regular patient, you build them a legitimate chart versus the, the, the skinny chart and it just didn't make sense. And, and I just called BS on it early on and said, we're going to do things differently. And there's very few dental offices out there that would take a hard look at what they're doing now and say, does this make sense? Is this the best way of doing it? I think everyone has tech, everyone has a computer and a smartphone and an internet connection now. So everyone has technology. But your point about are they using it efficiently is, is a very good point because many of us, I'm sure I'm probably guilty of it too, aren't using technology as efficiently as possible. So so that that is interesting. So talk about, so Lighthouse began to grow. And when did Lighthouse become bigger than the dental practice? So we started her practice on a practice management system called Practice Works. And to this day, it is just amazing what it could do. However, very few people could make it do all the things it could do because they didn't have the programming background. You needed to know technology. I always use the example of people would go into a, a, this mansion and stop at the foyer and basically say, what's the big deal? Is this, there's nothing in there and never go through the second door to discover everything. So we basically tweaked her office out with PracticeWorks. All of the PracticeWorks users would come and would get our systems and processes. So we had a very large following of just that small subset. The two people he's talking about are the two people that started Practice Works and, and him. And they became my partners, Brian and, and Joel. And so we realized that we could help more people if we expanded it to all practice management systems. The, the limiting factor was what practice management system. We created an ability to connect to their practice management system, pull their data into the cloud, now that the cloud's real, and we could do all the systems for anybody that we were doing in our office. And that's when it uh, really uh, kicked off. And, you know, instead of a couple of hundred people, we we're helping several thousand people all around the world before, of course, once something gets started, that's when uh, it, it gets bought. So uh, it, uh, it we ran Lighthouse Practice Management Systems as a consulting group from 2000 to like 2005. Lighthouse 360 was launched in like 2006, and then it was uh, purchased in 2013. So would you say from 94 to 2000 was the experimental years, the kind of the R&D years for it? Proof of concept, making sure that the thing that we did, because again, when these people would say, well, you can't do that. And then I'd show them we could do it. They said, but it will only work in your office, which was, again, another challenge to say, no, it'll work anywhere. And so we had to figure out how to pick up our system that didn't have me sent there and transplant it to other people. And so, yeah, it was a part of the growing curve. Yeah, human beings definitely have limiting thoughts when you challenge the status quo. And so, Bridget, what was... Go ahead. So I was going to say that the, the biggest problem we have with all of these things is people saying it can't be done. Because if you say it can't be done, then by definition, it won't be. You, you will find ways for things not to work instead of saying, wow, it, just imagine if we could do that. So, Bridget, what was it like to have a growing practice, being a new dentist, 
at the same time seeing this soon to be 800 pound gorilla being developed in the back office if you will well if we would have known that's what it was going to be but at the time i just thought it was a huge time suck because he was how many arguments to... did you guys have how many arguments <laughs> you guys have over oh, this? A few. <laughs> they, they were my experimental guinea pigs so while i was tuning and tweaking and trying to get it right i was constantly knocking them over and making their life more difficult so i could kind of improve it and to get the incremental upshift so i went to bed sleeping with one eye open many a night <laughs> yeah that, that is funny so but, you know if i hadn't had him you know our practice would not have been as successful because i was all in with the kids and the dentistry and running an associate so if i would have had to do the business to the level if he was doing it, i would have done it but not as great you know we wouldn't have been as successful as we did but we had one person completely concentrating on business one person doing clinical and you know, both being parents at the same time, because we did do the childcare in our office, which ended up being a huge practice builder. Yep. So talk about that. So you have four kids. They mm -hmm. were obviously young when you're doing this. Mm -hmm. And so you set up some sort of childcare and hired yeah, somebody. We, we bought a pediatrician's office. So a long time ago, I don't know if they still do it, but they had a well waiting room and a sick waiting room. So we bought that office, we turned the well waiting room into our actual receptionist, and then the sick waiting room that was just across the hall um, into a kid's playground. So we had um, somebody in there at all times. She watched our kids and she watched any kids that were there for an appointment or if their mom was there for an appointment or their dad, they went in there. So most of the time she had two kids in there. Sometimes she would have seven kids in there, but only for a half an hour. So it just made it so much easier for patients to make appointments because they're not having to find sitters for their children. So it it turned into we were the family friendly uh, practice in the area. The homeschool families. I mean, our kids would get off the bus. The school bus would stop and they would just hop in and come into the dental office and do their homework. It was I can't, can't imagine doing it any other way. But again, when you explain this to other people, they will immediately throw up the flag saying, well, you can't do that. And I explained to him, you've got child care in your offices right now. They're just running up and down the hall or they're sitting in the treatment room. I mean, if we never took direct supervision of the children. We, the, the parents were those in the building. We just had a preferred place that they wanted to go in, play their video games, play with the toys and so forth. And, and the side benefit is kids would be thrilled to go to the dentist. They're like, when's my next dental yep. appointment, mom? <laughs> Which is not something you usually get. Now, did you end up doing a lot of pediatrics because of this? Yeah. We, there were really no female dentists in the area when we first moved here, and um, our practice was two female dentists, myself and my sister-in-law. And yeah, we yeah. we were the pedodontists of the area, not being pedodontists, but... Um, Very child-friendly. Mm -hmm. So talk about, uh, you sold your business in 2013, and when you sold, I assume at some point you graduated from front office to more CEO or something like that, and you had to hire somebody else? <laughs> But when you sold the business, you went back to work in the dental office. Correct. So so basically, the practice at that point in time, you know, where there was a lot of focus on Lighthouse, Bridget was basically slowing up a little bit just because she didn't need to work as many hours. And we were just kind of uh, coasting on it. When I left with Lighthouse, I was bored. So that was the first problem we had. And that's when looking at uh, practice transitions, 
the worst way to sell a practice is after you coast for a little bit. So it doesn't matter that we were a seven-figure practice very early on into the career of it, and we knew it could do more. The fact that we didn't want to work that hard was going to then ding us because people would say, yeah, but the practice can only do this. So it's like, no, can't. And so I just rejoined the practice. We uh, adjusted our marketing. I adjusted my appointment scheduling, which has always been a, a topic of conversation. Uh, it's amazing what I can fit on onto a schedule that a, non, that a real dental person won't put on a schedule. <laughs> and we took the production up another 20, 30% just to put it at where it should be. So then we could then start the a transition process and then you hired eventually an associate with the intention of selling the practice to that associate so we dabbled with a broker and it was not a pleasant experience whatsoever in terms of outcomes process or just we felt just outright lies yeah it, it, it was it was very poor so after that we said okay how how should this be done and similar to using her office to start lighthouse we use this whole process to say let's understand it better by simply using the state licenses to find out all the dentists that graduated in a certain time period when they got their license we identified the target people we want to talk to downloaded that from the state printed letters and mailed off 700 letters to, to people saying wherever you're at you may want to come and talk to us people that were in the atlanta area and had graduated within the last five years and um we got three or four people to come actually talk to us. And one of those people eventually match. bought the practice. So, well, she worked there for three or four years and then um, purchased it. So, you know, she came in, I immediately went, I was working four days. I went down to two days and she was working three days. So I could leave her alone and make sure she got her practice up and going. And more importantly, we didn't give 10% to somebody who showed up at the very end to say, where's my check? We made sure that it was full disclosure, that she had end-to-end -end access to the physical plant, all of the equipment, and the books. Her husband came in, and he basically sat beside me, and I showed him the dialed-in systems and how to do things and to let him know that it's a little scary at first, but eventually it's not that big of a deal. So the, the office, here we are almost five years post-sales, they're crooning along as, as they have been and even better than we did it so and, and it's a great relationship still five years afterwards that's fantastic so now you have one child who is a dentist mm -hmm. who bought a practice a couple of years ago and mm -hmm. uh learned from you and is doing really well now she did she bought it three hours away from us so it's not like right next door and bought it um, not on a lark, but um, she she had gotten laid off from her practice, and she was working so, for a corporate dentist or something. No, she was working for a private practice. But, but COVID hit, and all the yeah. all the dental offices shut down, and so she was just basically staring and saying, "Oh wow, this is not not fun for me." So I, because I'm part of the Birmingham Peeps, put a, an ad on Facebook saying, "Is anybody interested in selling their practice?" Again, we have three or four people that contacted us. We looked at them all and she bought one of them. So, you know, it was just fortuitous. But I realized at that point, a lot of other people would would like to buy practices from from other dentists. But dentists don't want to put all their information out into the world. If there was some way we could do this anonymously. Um, and they're being told by the professionals, oh, you can't do that. You know, you do the dentistry. We will take care of the selling of it. 
but there's no person more vested in the selling of a practice, the transitioning of their patients, of their lifeblood and everything else than the person actually driving it. So it is possible to make the connection, do a little due diligence, get some guidance and advice and input from other, uh, you know, build a team and then do the transaction. Uh, the, the transaction happened very fast. She very fast. She worked uh, at, temporarily from May to reopen it because the office was closed in February due to COVID. She opened it back up in May, closed in June, and then immediately started implementing the systems that we kind of refined and over our lifetime. And she opened it with like one and a half employees because everybody was gone from COVID. The person that had worked there previously was only open a few days a month. So very part-time schedule and all of a sudden our daughter was like okay i need people five days a week and so she had to hire everybody she has to set up her system she had to go out and network so it was it was quite a summer but so now help helping her buy that that helped you that was that a catalyst for you starting what you're doing now when she bought it we were not thinking of that we were very much just trying to get her to survive what she had purchased and she is surviving and thriving. And then afterwards, we started thinking that there's a, a lot of other people that are in this same situation. They're in corporate dentistry. They want to buy a private practice. They don't know how to how to get out there or how to find those private practices to purchase. And, and on my side, from Lighthouse, I had clients that are 20 years, 20 plus year uh, clients, people that we've you know basically grown up with. And just like we were transitioning out, a lot of my old clients are wanting to get out and they weren't too sure how to do it. So it was a continuation of the past. We were involved with her dental school. We were going up, meeting her uh, people and, and getting to know this rising class and realizing that they're not being taught much about the business of dentistry. And they are just blindly following people because they know dentistry. I mean, the, the U.S. produces the best clinical dentists around with zero business training. So, oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's for sure. They don't learn anything. So now this has kind of parlayed you into your new venture, which talk about that. What's it called? What Talk about what it does. Well, we both have new ventures. My venture together kind of is called Dental Practice Matchmaker, and it's a face, free Facebook group. You have to be a dentist to enter the group. I verify that. Um, I research it. Once you're in the group, you can post if you need a job in a particular city or state. You can post if you are hiring a dentist, you're, you need an associate. You can post if you're selling a practice, or you can post that you are searching for a practice to purchase. And you can put as little or as more, more information on there as possible. More pictures tends to get you more interest. And then people put their email address or some kind of contact, and then the event happens outside of us. We are only a matchmaker and we are free because I very much want new dentists to be able to partner with older dentists and leave corporate out of the out in the cold. We're, we're a switchboard, mm -hmm. so we're a conduit to hopefully make matches around. We've got over 12,000 people. The, the number of posts that come in are, are just amazing, so we have to guide people to make sure that they understand how to search. We're looking to try to do a little technology to make it a little bit better. Um, but right right now, it's just using the, the, the Facebook engine and letting people know that it's out there. And wow. it started a year and a half ago. So from a year zero. and a half to 12,000. And it's called Dental Matchmaker or Dental, dental pra Practice Matchmaker. Okay. Yeah, so that everyone should check out that Facebook group for sure. Um, and then, Alan, what's your second act? So once we uh, got the practice sold... I had a person reach out to me who had done a couple other companies not in the dental space that wanted to do a dental company. 
And through a mutual friend, we were uh, put together and I informed him that I did have one bit of unfinished business. Lighthouse had always considered it. We always had it on our path to take care of the back end, the, the, the back office, the insurance claims and all that stuff. But we just got so busy doing the, the patient facing, the, the recall, the, the scheduling, the confirmation, all of that, that we didn't get a chance to do the insurance handling and the back end posting. So I've now created a company called Inside Desk, and it currently has over 500 offices that we are basically harvesting every single night, all of their open insurance claims. We then check all the various statuses so that on a daily basis, a person can sit down, log into their website, and know exactly what's going on with every open claims. And again, the whole dental way of doing things, waiting for something to be 60, 90, 100 days old, and then find out who you're mad at and tell them, okay, you got to call outstanding claims. I mean, that's the normal dental way of doing things. We have the technology that if you send off a claim electronically and it hasn't been received in three days, you fix it then. If a claim is immediately rejected, you fix it then. You don't wait 90 days to push the recent button and wait another 90 days. So uh, we're taking the methodology that we developed one of the 30 years of running an all digital practice, and we're trying to make it available to everybody. I do find... I do find it ironic that the guy who ran a fee-for-service practice now has a software to help people uh, process dental claims. That is, there is some irony there. Well, our fee-for-services may be a little bit different. Yeah. We absolutely accepted insurance. We just uh, didn't sign any contracts. Yeah, so so we it, we're not in any PPOs. Insurance was always a good 80% of our patients had insurance, 20% didn't. And of the 80% that had the patients, our revenue was 50-60% insurance paid. So we were. So, but they had they had to involved. fill the gap. They had to fill the gap. Okay. Correct. Mm -hmm. We were very much involved with insurance. We just would not sign a contract. And, and again, the, the one takeaway I'd give to anybody watching this: any contract that's being handed to you by an insurance company, know that there was a team of lawyers preparing it, and you should read every line of it. It shouldn't be an office manager saying, "Great, you're new here. You need to sign these seven forms so that we can get you credentialed." That's ridiculous. Wow. Absolutely fascinating. Was well, there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? The one thing that has bothered me a lot about younger dentists now is they're getting out and their goal is to buy three practices. And I'm like, you're just tripling your nightmare. <laughs> I mean, one practice can can be very financially rewarding. And I think, you know, you, you start adding complexity with every single office, especially if you can can't be in every office and you're just hiring people that you can't supervise to run them. So well, at least start with one, then work. Yeah, with the three. Start, start with one and get it tweaked to where it is cooking yeah. and then think about something else. Don't make that. I mean, I've, I've, I've talked to students who are like, yeah, my first, I'm going to buy a practice. I'm going to buy another practice. Two months later, I'm going to buy another practice. And then I'm set. And I'm like, oh, you are so not set. So it's just, Walk before you run. The devil's yeah. in the details. So what advice would you give to a brand new dental school graduate? Get some business education, whether it be QuickBooks, yeah, all that stuff. You need to be doing your own books at the very beginning because there's not a lot of books to do. You don't have a ton of money coming in. Might as well learn then. And, you know, have have a finger on your own pulse of your financial situation. Yeah. Don't wait for an accountant to tell you six months later, oh, this is your profit loss from four months ago. 
Yeah, those are really good points. So well, and, and be plugged into all your focus of the dentist, your your chair side, your best use of time is treating the patients. However, you have an owner and an, uh, a manager hat on. You need to understand the revenue cycle. You need to understand the ordering cycle. You need to understand all of these systems so that in a pinch, when somebody just doesn't show up, you can at least partially do it or make sure that you get somebody that can backfill it and monitor to make sure it's being done. So many offices get into problems because no one is monitoring. They don't realize something has spun out of control, whether it be the supply ordering or not ordering, spending too much money, not getting what they need critical to, to keep the day going, or not following up on the revenue side of it, not getting their claims paid. They're doing a whole lot of dentistry. They're on a uh, roller skates trying to get everything all done and there's no money coming into the account and they don't know why. So you need to be aware from end to end what's going on. Really good advice, really good advice. Well, Alan and Bridget, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. Enjoy talking with you. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brand. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. External sites and materials are provided for your convenience in locating related information and services. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain, control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organizations, products, or services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor at Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Security products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas insurance license number 16139032. California insurance license number OL1007320. 023-149741 expires 125. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>